Well, we're excited um, that you're with us this morning. I am. I'm super thankful that um, being a church that allows the pastor to get away for a while for vacation, and uh, so that's where I've been. And uh, it's been a blessing to get away for a while and um, just recoup. And uh, so, super thankful for that. And uh, I truly believe that God was working on me that week to bring to you this week uh, some information out of Colossians. Not some information. Hopefully, some life changing stuff out of Colossians chapter 3 this morning. And uh, here's the main thing we're going to be getting after this morning, and that is this. I want us to allow the gospel to do its job, and part of that is learning how to savor and enjoy the gospel. That sounds so weird, right? How do you savor the gospel? Is it even possible? What does that look like? What does that mean? So we're going to talk about that, because the book of Colossians, uh, if you've been with us for a while, um, and those online, those th- the book of Colossians has been Uh, all about this theme of the gospel. Starting in chapter 1, we we define the gospel as the idea of uh, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So we were created in the image of God. Uh, We've fallen um, out of our sin nature from, from, we've gotten from Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus Christ came, died, buried, resurrected, for our sins, that's the redemption, and we know that eventually he will come back and take us to be with him one day, and that is the restoration. So we define the gospel as that, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the full story of the Bibles that we have in front of us. And this gospel, it said in chapter 1 of Colossians, is bearing fruit. And so let me do a little recap, and then we're going to go into our main text this morning. But we said in chapter 1 that the gospel in verses 5 to 6, it says, of this, you have heard before in the word of truth the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, he's basically saying the gospel is the message of Christ, and the message of Christ is bearing fruit and is increasing, and it was even increasing in the church in Colossians at that point. And it was a really exciting time for Paul. Um, even though he wasn't the pastor, he had really no connection with the church. We, we saw that Epaphras was actually the pastor, we think. Um, but we, we see this as just an encouragement to him of hearing of a church that's doing well in the gospel. And then in chapter 2, we saw the gospel was being defended against those who were coming at it with a different message. And they said the gospel was being brought in with a different idea that wasn't truly Christ and Christ alone. And then in Colossians chapter 3, this morning, we're going to see that the gospel is again to be enjoyed or to be savored. So all throughout the book of Colossians, you're going to see the gospel being presented again and again and again as a theme. And then next week, we're going to actually look at how does that impact our families and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to look at that more in the next week. But for this week, I want us to ask the question, is the gospel truly something that you savor and enjoy or is it something that is just you've heard and you think is important but not truly making much of a difference in our life at this point? Paul says um, this gospel, if it changes you, or if, it, if, it's, if you believe it, that it changes you. He says that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of, in light, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, if the gospel is bearing fruit, if it is truly to be savored, well, the first thing to know is that if it is in us, 
then we are to be giving thanks because this is what the gospel has done for us. It has qualified you, it has delivered you, and it has transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. So no matter what you believe about yourself, no matter what you believe about growing up and who you are, if the gospel is in you, he says it has done these things in you. And not only that, in chapter 3, he, he comes again, he says, remember who you are. He says, for you have died, in verse 3, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says these things because, to put it another way, it, it is truly your identity, right? And so he first says, hey, the gospel, if it's to be savored, is to remember what it's done for you in your past. Remember what it's done to deliver you into this new kingdom. Remember what it has done to give you a brand new identity and worth and value. And he says, if you remember these things, he says, then verse 5 will, be start, will start to happen because of these things in you. He says in verse 5, he says they require you to, to murder those sinful primal natures in us because of the gospel being in, in, indwelling us. He says, Galatians 3, 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and the covetousness, which is idolatry. He's basically saying, okay, so let's just break that down. If the gospel is what it is, it's the, the message of Christ. If it truly is in you and you believe the message of Jesus Christ, you trusted fully in him, he has done this for you. As a result, it will kill these, these earthly primal desires in you of sexual morality, impurity, passion, desires, covetousness, and idolatry. And then he goes on to say, not only will it kill those things that are just basic to all of humanity, it will also kill those sinful things that come up for us in our intellects and in, in our emotions in verses 8 and 9. He says, verses 8 to 10, But now you must put away them all, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the, after the image of its creator. He puts all these things, he says to put off all these things of the old nature and put on this new self, to put on this brand new person. Now, all that recap and all of that great stuff about how we're to get rid of these things in repentance leads us to the main thing I want to talk about this morning, and that is in 16 and 17. So yes, those all are important. We need to return from those things so that we can get to the idea of 16 and 17. Here's where I want to spend most of our time this morning is in verses 16 and 17. Putting away all those things, getting on the new nature, he says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't know if you've grown up in church um, for a while or if this is some new things for you, but, but I think what often can happen in our journey with Christ, if we've been a Christian for a long time, I think what can happen is we can slowly just drift into everything just becoming a mental exercise, right? I know what I know about my Christianity, and so therefore it probably should affect my life, and so I've got to make a conscious choice to make it affect my life. And, 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 and head knowledge is good, but I think if we're not careful, what happens 
is we, we put, if you were to imagine the um, train cars with me, it, you, it's almost like we put the facts first as the engine that kind of pulls everything forward, and then we get into some of our emotions, maybe second, and then our beliefs kind of follow. And, and, and I don't know that it ever has to be that linear. And, and I, my fear is if it always becomes linear of fact-only Christianity, without any emotion and without any internal just really belief structure behind it, then it just becomes methodical and mechanical. And I feel like for me personally, heading into vacation this year, there was a lot in me that was just mechanical. Like it just kind of, I just did the next thing. I did the next best thing I could. I, 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 I just kind of uh, put one foot in front of the other. And I was, here was my, my problem, I feel like. I was doing so much for God that I truly missed just being with God. I was so busy doing the next thing and getting the next thing right and, 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 and putting away all those things he mentions and trying to cover all my sins, but, but I missed the idea of being with God. And so when I came to this passage and it says, let the word of God dwell in you richly, it was like a light bulb went on and God was like, hey, for the next two weeks, and I have the luxury, that's, that's a nice thing. You guys are, you know, don't hate me. I just lost all of you when I said that. <laughs> They're all like, yeah, should have been a pastor. Um, it's a luxury. I get it. It's, it's the time I get to get away. And uh, it is amazing. And I'm really thankful for it. But it, in the beginning of that, that, that vacation, this is what God kind of put in. He said, you've been doing so much, but you've missed the relational depth of this thing that I've called you to. And my fear for us as a church, as we've kind of journeyed through so many different seasons, I mean, for us, this is just a side note. I didn't share this in first service. But it, I think in, in, in this journey, if we're honest, it, it's been exhausting, right? I mean, January, February, we hit the ground running. This place is packed, and you could barely breathe in here. And, and it was this whole thing. And, and February was it's just you know, like we're getting our feet wet, and we're just getting this thing running. And then all of a sudden, like we're in a brand new building for two months. And then it's like, hey, COVID. And we're like, come on. And so we're out, and then we're back into this two-service thing, and we're trying to spread out and keep distance, and, and it's just a weird place to be. And I feel like it's just been the next thing and the next thing and doing the next thing to solve the next problem, and now we're trying to get kids' ministry back into first service, and, and it's not maybe always going to be two services, and maybe it's going to be got back to one, and is that going to be an option? And how do we get—there's so many different things, and I feel like things just became mechanical and the next step and the next step. So when God hit this of dwell in you richly, this— hit home for me. And I want to unpack this with you because the word richly is very, very important to the text and very, very important to our practical living day to day. And here's where he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly is an adverb that describes the verb it precedes. And so it's preceding the word dwell here. And this word richly was meant to describe how we are to dwell with Christ. Now, dwell is an interesting term in the Bible because in the, word, the dwell is, takes me back to Exodus where God met with Moses and on top of this mountain there's this huge cloud that comes down and it rests on this mountain. And it's just huge, thick cloud that, that Moses walks up into and he has a relationship with God. It's this big cloud that kind of followed him around. Even at the temple, it came down and he dwelt at the temple. And you could tell God was at the temple because there was this huge dwelling and a thick cloud that was there. Not like the, you know, corona cloud that was supposed to be down at Myrtle Beach. I didn't see it, but I heard it was south of us. And then eventually we could, you know, find it. And then it got in us somehow. But it didn't happen. That's why I'm wearing a mask today and distancing. I'm trying to be good. Um, but 
It was this place where God dwelt, and it was this place you could just sense and know that he was there. And so when he says it will dwell in you richly, it describes already something very dense. It's an adverb to describe who he was. And, and, and not only to, to deal with dwelling, but this word richly is very interesting because just to maybe geek out a little bit with you, um, it's only used four times in the entire Bible, uh, and, and it's only used here in a couple other passages. And here's where richly is used. And I think this is important. We look at words and their original language and what they meant to tell us. One, here's describing dwelling. In 1 Timothy 6.17, it describes the supplying that God gives. He says, I give you everything to enjoy, and I give it to you richly. I give you richly everything to enjoy. In Titus 3.6, it describes how much the Holy Spirit is poured into our lives, pointing us to trusting in Jesus. So he says, the Holy Spirit is poured into you richly. And then in 1 Peter 1.11, it describes the kind of supplying God gives us to enter into eternity with him. And he says, I supply the entrance into eternity with me richly. So if we look at those together from four different books, we get this. This is really interesting. If we use the word richly as it's supposed to be meant and understood in the original Greek, it says that it is what is used to describe pouring into us at the moment of salvation of the Holy Spirit is poured into you richly, densely, abundantly. It is poured into you. We dwell on the gospel in this life richly, and it leaves us through this world. And then while we enjoy everything in this life, we're to do it richly. Not like I just do it and I just get through it. But God has given us everything in this world to enjoy, including summer, including vacation, including, you know, 90-degree heat that's burning all of our lawns up. He gives us all of these things to enjoy in this life, and he does it richly. And then lastly, it ushers us into eternally, in eternity richly. And as I thought of this word richly and density, the only thing I could think of, and probably because I was on vacation, was this. This, my friends, is diabetes on a stool. This is chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. So this is a glazed chocolate. On top, there's a chocolate rose. Don't eat these things because they're not edible. And then in the middle, it's double chocolate. And then in the the cake itself is fudge chocolate. Right? There's enough of us here. Let's just pass this out. Let's do it. Sticking face in it. That's why you should be at church. Um, and so the, as I thought of this, this is like the, and it's really heavy and it moves around a lot. So I can't really move it too much because every time I touch it, there's just more chocolate. But as you think of something like that, it's this density and this thickness and this enjoying of it. And I thought, you know what, it's one thing to, to show you. It's one thing to, to place it out there. But it's another thing to actually um, allow you to uh, get through the sermon with some help. And so what I've done this morning is... These are for you to enjoy richly. And so these are not, I can't really pass them out. They're individually wrapped, so they're, they're fine. So if you want to thank you, it'd be great. Um, those are for you to enjoy richly. They're not the same as this, but they're, they're kind of similar. But as you have something rich and to enjoy, isn't it something like you just, you just savor it, you want more of it? So, so let me give you another just reason to hate me on vacation. Um, so... We, we had just eaten, it's our, our anniversary every time we go out, and we go out and we eat at a Brazilian steakhouse. And if you've ever been to one, it's the place where they just like give you the green light, red light cards, which is awesome. So basically what that means is there's a red card, there's a, there's a circle on your table, and it has a red and a green. And basically whenever it's green, they just bring you more meat. It's just, it's, it's like, 
I'm hoping this is in heaven because this is amazing. Every time you sit down, you flip the card over, and it's just a brand new meat, whether it's top sirloin, whether it's sausage, whether it's wrapped bacon in steak, or, or whether it's Parmesan-crusted ham, which is amazing. And they just keep flipping it over, and they just keep bringing it. And then they bring this fried pineapple, which is not my thing, but it's her thing, and they brought her, like, the whole thing. And, and it was just like, this is so good, and you just savor it. And then at the end, we're like, should we get food to go? As we've just gorged ourselves on every animal possible. And we said, yes, we want something to go. So we get this thing to go, and it's this chocolate mousse cheesecake thing. And it's like a chocolate density, but it's got a cheesecake, and it's also got some chocolate in the middle, and it's coated in chocolate icing. And she brings it to us, and she goes, do you want the drizzle? And we're like, Yes. And so she puts white chocolate and chocolate drizzle on this thing, puts it in the deal. And, 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 and then we go and we, we take it to the beach and we just sit on the beach and we just eat cake on the beach. You're like, I hate you. I know. I know. But it was amazingly dense and rich and amazing. And we're just like, I, I don't even care about the anniversary anymore. I just care about cake because it's so good. And so we're just eating this cake, the pristine thing. And I think that is richly, right? That is depth. That is in us richly. That's enjoying it. That is not my normal eating pattern, which I've inherited from my family. Um, I feel like my dad and myself, we have this problem sometimes where we just like mechanical about food and we just eat like a, a machine, right? And we sit down to meals and it's like we're hovered over it. I don't know if this happens in your family or not, or if you have that family member, but it's just like a dum, 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 dum. And it's like you can hear the chewing like tied out to a metronome. Dum, 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 dum. And you're just, are you enjoying it? Yeah, it's great, it's great, it's great. And then like we're done and we just got to have something else to do because we're just busy and we got to get the next thing, next thing, next thing. That is not richly. That is just getting food in your body so you can do the next thing. Sitting on a beach with cake dribbled in three things of, ice, of, of, three things of icing with little coffees on the side on this blanket, and you're kind of like, this is richly, and I don't want to leave. Like, that is rich. This is richly. This is that density that is meant to be ascribed to this word, and he says, this is how we are to live. Let the word of God or let the gospel dwell in you richly. In other words, it should just be, ah, oh, I just can't wait. I love what God is doing in my life, and I just can't wait for more of it. We're going to get to that in a second of how, but the, for, the, for the sake of this passage, I feel like God is asking us to understand the gospel can be truly enriching and truly satisfying and savoring if we can take the time to get there. And he says, when that happens, when we richly savor the gospel, when that becomes part of our world, he says 12 to 17 can start to happen. A little bit in reverse, but 12 to 17, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He says, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He says, then as God's chosen ones, these are the things that will kind of show a deep, rich, gospel-centered life. These will get lived out in the midst of a church body. These will be seen in its congregation. This will be seen in those who follow Jesus 
in their workplaces and in their families and in their friends' lives. They will be people that you just love to be around. See, I think if these were actually part of our world as Christians, if we truly lived those out on a day-to-day basis, people would love to hang out with you, and people would love to hear more about what the gospel being rich in your life means, because it would mean you're not just a head knowledge kind of person that just kind of, I know what I know what I know, but I live like I don't know what I know, and I live my own life, but it doesn't affect my, the fact that I'm a Christian, the gospel's in me, when we, when we truly live it out, we live ways that people desire to be near us because it's rich and full. The reason I know it's rich and full is even this word compassionate hearts, and the original actually means it's like from the bowels comes mercy. <laughs> from the depths of you comes mercy. From out of the depths of you comes love. You just can't help but care for those around you. Kindness, humility, meekness, which is power under control. Christ modeled it perfectly. It wasn't that he was a doormat. It wasn't that Christianity is asking you just to roll over and take it for the team. That's not what he's saying. Meekness is power and control under control. It's, it's as if you're sitting with the CEO in the boardroom who has all the power and all the, all the ability to, to hire a fire and do all these kind of things, and especially to your job and position, and he meets you with meekness, and he meets you with humility. He says, can I just hear how you and your family are doing? Can I just hear how, how your life's happening? How, are, how is the company working for you? Not many is going to have, not many will maybe have those conversations, but that is who we are to be as Christians. We are to truly just, we have all this power and authority of Christ in us. We live and, 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 and model these things but as we do it, we do it with kindness, humility, meekness, patience. And then he also says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, they are to leave the church entirely and to defriend them on Facebook and Instagram, right? If anybody has an issue with one another, they are to totally abandon the relationship because it's too hard and they didn't understand your issues and therefore are going to go to some other place that knows me better and is nicer to me, right? He says, Bearing with one another, if anyone has a complaint against each other, they are to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you all must also must forgive. We must stick it out in the long run. We must be able to hear the needs of the church body around us and to be able to say, you know what, I maybe not agree with you, I may be on the completely different side from you, and I may not even want to talk to you today, but because of the gospel in us, we are to able to hear each other and be in perfect harmony with one another, forgiving as Christ has forgiven us, and above all these, put on love. And these lived out in the life of a person make that person rich and deep and people who long to be around them, not shallow, not, not pushovers, but genuine. Those that don't fake Christianity but truly are who they are. And so how do we truly enjoy this richness? How do, we, how do we get there? How do we dwell on the gospel continually? Let me give you a couple of things that may seem obvious and probably pretty um, obvi- maybe obvious to you, but I think they're just good reminders this morning as we finish out. I want to just kind of give you some helpful things of how do I then dwell richly? What does that look like practically? He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I find it interesting. This is not, it's interesting that he uses the word let and not just a command. He's saying, allow the word of Christ. Not force it, not make it happen, but let 
the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means the word of Christ wants to do this. It's almost as if we are stopping it from doing it. Allow it to work. Enjoy it. A surrender to it. In other words, don't stop the gospel from filling you to satisfaction. Another way of saying it is stop stopping the gospel from filling you to completion. What do you mean I'm stopping it? How, how, what do you mean I'm, how, how am I stopping it? Well, if you're like me, it's, 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 it's through productivity and just getting things done. And, and, and I, I almost get more productive for God than versus being filled with God. For me, it becomes distractions. I can be very easily distracted in a day and everything can grab my attention that's not him. And I can look for things that are productive and things that grab my attention that can focus on those versus seeing Christ throughout the day. And I think that the stopping is what we are trying to remedy. What are you letting in that stops the gospel from being fully rich? We are frequently impoverished spiritually by our own not letting ourselves be rich. And much like food, we just kind of force the, the, the word of God or church into our life. We just kind of eat it. We just do the thing, do the thing, do the thing. Instead of truly enjoying the relationships here, instead of truly enjoying the gospel for what it is. Here's, here's what I found um, that kind of speaks better to this. He, he wraps it up really well. This is an interesting little day-by-day, 40-day journal thing that I've been starting there. And uh, it's basically the idea of spending time with Christ in the morning and then sometime in the evening or afternoon, uh, just a reminder uh, of what God's done in your life and to kind of just look for him every single day. Because here's what I've, he says, here's what I've observed. And I'm not going to say maybe for you, but I'll just be honest. And this is where I was, I think, leading in um, to vacation earlier this year. He says, I've observed about the spiritual condition of believers today. Here's what I would say. And and this was true of me. He says, of believers today, here's what I have observed about their spiritual condition. Many of us are feeling stuck in our spiritual journey with Christ. Many of us are living off of other people's spirituality. Many of us are scattered, fragmented, and uncentered. Many of us are tired physically, spiritually, emotionally. Many of us are existing with only one inch deep spirituality and wondering where God is. Many of us are praying and communing with God very little. Many of us are busy and not very intentional in pursuing Christ. And many of us are struggling to stop our life on the run. And that was true. And I feel like God's kind of bringing us, bringing me back and saying, hey, you need to dwell on this thing because as you allow me to work in your life, you will see more enjoyment. So how do we allow that to happen? Let me give you a couple things that are pretty obvious, but maybe will be helpful this morning on how do you dwell richly on the gospel? How do you actually make this gospel enjoyable? Number one, I know this is going to sound simple, but ask for it. Um, have you ever truly asked, God, I, I want a richer, fuller faith and one that is not shallow? Have you ever prayed that on an ongoing basis? Or has it been, God, forgive me for, I know I should, I know I should, I know I should, please forgive me, I know I should. Instead of, God, I want deep, rich relationship with you. And I'm not even sure what that means, but I want more. And many of us, me included, the reason we don't pray this is because we, we, we've heard how that plays out. Many of us don't pray this kind of prayer because we're, we're scared because we've heard the stories. I prayed for a richer, fuller life, and then God took away everything that I enjoyed. 
I prayed for a richer, fuller life, and then, and then so-and-so got sick, and then God just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and punishing. It felt like punishing and punishing, and we don't ask it because we're worried that if, if, if we ask for a fuller life, God's almost up there like a whack-a-mole just kind of waiting for us to get, you know, brave enough to lift our heads, and he's going to be like, ha-ha, smack, right? And we're like, I, I wanted more, and apparently that's... My fear is that's the impression, and the impression we have of God is that he's going to make me suffer, and he's going to make me just hate life and, and all these things if I ask for more with him. And I don't know that that's always the reality. I think if we ask for this, that allow the gospel to be richly full in our life, he will do those things. And the things that will happen will become more compassionate, kind, meek, and patient as a result of them. And so the first thing I think is just asking. And that's been my prayer since, since, we, since I was on this trip out. It's, God, I want this summer. Not, not, and I get it. We're not going to be able to do this in a whole week or two weeks. But I wanted this to be a whole summer. I said, God, I want more. I don't want to just go through head knowledge. I want a fuller, deeper faith. And so the first thing is to ask. Second thing is just to stop. And I know it's going to be simple as well, but stop treating the gospel with kid gloves. Stop just kind of making this out there kind of ethereal thing. Stop running from what God wants from you and stop doing for God instead of being with God. For me, that was my biggest thing. Stop, stop trying to do more for him and actually be with him and let him work. And you're going to hear a story of that in a second. And then not only stop, but also I believe the last one is repetitive seeking. And again, how bad do you want it, right? It's, uh, it's, been, it's been hard without sports. <laughs> Can I just say that? Uh, it's been hard without um, two-a-days and, and practices and, and things like that to, to look forward to for many students. Uh, many lost their, 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 year, their senior year of sports, and it was very, very difficult. There's something about sports that is just amazing because it, 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 cause, it, it makes you do routine to get the skill when you just want the skill and you don't want the routine. But many of us know you can't get the skill unless you do the, the routine over and over and over and over and over and over again until you're just nauseated. I got it. I've got it. I know the form. I've got my form down. I know how to throw. I've got that. There's something, though, about repetition that keeps the skill moving. There's something about repetition that causes you to get better and better. There's something about repetition with the gospel that when we repeatedly put ourselves underneath its power and say, God, I want to hear more from you. I want a deeper relationship with you. The more repetitive we are, the more God is saying, yes, this is sincere. I'm going to be able to honor this in your life. So it's asking for it. It's stopping the things that are distracting you from it, and it's repetitive seeking. And I know that's kind of like, okay, but here's the thing. Are we doing it? Because the question is, does Jesus ever leave your quiet time? Yeah, I've got my Devo. I do my morning thing, but does he ever leave that? And does he ever make an impact into verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 17? And whatever you do, that means whatever. That means everything you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything in this world we are to do through and for him. That means everything. How I parent, how I, how I balance my paycheck or my, my um, checkbook, how I 
how I run my, my, my family, how I, how I vacation. All these things are part of God. And here's the reality. Even in vacation, you're like, well, does that mean I have to like just, you know, be super spiritual every single day of vacation and just, you know, have Bible studies every single, you know, lunch, lunch, dinner, every, we just did Bible studies. That's all we did on vacation. Just Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. You remember, you were there. I mean, it was like every day. And we were like six times a day. Um, no, it means we enjoy vacation. It means we enjoy family. It means we see Christ in all of it. That means that when I see um, a parenting moment that went really well, I honor that. That means that when I see Christ displayed in a conversation down on the beach, and, and well, I can tell you how that conversation went, but it was a <laughs> funny conversation. I see Christ in that conversation with a stranger from Richmond, Virginia. Like, it was just person after person that God kind of brought into my life, and story after story, and God says, I'm, I'm in it. I'm here. Enjoy being with me. And he says, as a result of all these things, lastly, he says that all these things result in teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in hearts, I'm sorry, in thankfulness in your hearts to God. Another thing that's kind of been clear in this passage, and I want to kind of end this way, was this, is, uh, this has been a passage I've just really been praying about even since January here at the church, and that is that our worship would become more full and more rich and, and more deep. It, but here, here's the thing I know about our worship, and when he talks about singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, worship that rich only happens in those deeply swimming in the gospel. Worship is almost a barometer of how deeply rich the gospel is in our lives. And it's, it's that thing of what are we celebrating when we sing these songs? Because honestly, you know, I think some of us were like, ah, the singing isn't really my best part of church. I'm not really a big fan of that part of it. But honestly, the Bible is clear that when we are learning and growing in Him, it is to be the reflection of what we're learning and growing in Him that comes out through song. Now, one of the things we want to celebrate this morning is what God does in a life and what He does to transform those around us. Amen.